All right. Hello and welcome to RealCom's second installment in the Workplace Enterprise series. But it's being presented third since it was rescheduled from its original time slot. So uh, it's OK. You don't have to watch them in any particular order. Uh, just uh, you'll be able to follow along easy enough. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your RealCom guest host for today's webinar. And that's focusing on health and wellness, navigating the landscape connected sensors. Thank you for tuning in to the live session or viewing this as a recording. The information goes by fast, so you may want to take notes. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. First of all, thank you to all of our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We'll try to get to all those questions during the Q&A phase, but if we don't get them answered during the webinar, we will follow up with you once the event is concluded. You will uh, find uh, the handouts in the handout section of the control panel. Uh, just look down there, you'll see that handouts for session one and session three, along with the uh, speaker bios. For the best experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. Don't watch Squid Games, everybody dies. Just watch us, you'll have a lot better experience. If you do experience technical difficulties, though, with connectivity, sound, video quality, the best thing to do is to disconnect and then click on the webinar link again. Or you can email Sarah Bemperid at sbemporad at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, you won't miss anything since it's all being recorded and you'll receive that link in just the next couple of days. This education webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsor, Comfy and Lighted is an operating company of Siemens, is a leading provider of workplace intelligence technology and integrated IoT platforms for smart, sustainable buildings with outstanding tenant experiences. Prescriptive data enables buildings to hit their ESG goals by optimizing operational performance while saving energy, reducing carbon emissions, and lowering costs without sacrificing occupant health or comfort. VIEW is the leader in smart windows and building technologies that improve human health and experience, reduces energy consumption and carbon emissions, and generates additional revenue. We are always grateful for what these vendors bring to the industry, to Realcom, and to educating our viewers in sessions like these. Be sure to check out these companies as part of your vendor evaluation process when you're thinking about building health, wellness, sensors, and data collection. And finally, our moderator for this session is Maureen Ehrenberg, CEO of Blue Skyer, innovating in the built environment. Welcome, Maureen. Oh, thank you, Chuck. Thanks very much. And it's exciting to be here for this session. You're doing great. You're such an expert in this area. So I'm quickly going to get out of the way and I'll join you at the end. Okay. Thanks, Chuck. Good morning. Good afternoon. We're very excited uh, for you to be joining us today. I thought I'd give a brief overview of um, the approach right now that groups are taking to experience. And I think everyone will agree that we're well beyond uh, fruit, water, and concierge services uh, to think that that is ultimately what a great workplace experience uh, is derived from. The recognition today around curating a, a, a very effective uh, workplace environment really starts with a holistic view of experience. Um, the session that we're going to be addressing is really focusing on health and wellness and how that is impacted. But all of the elements that I've listed here 
um, calling them the 10 C's just for simplicity, uh, really around this uh, holistic ecosystem that I mentioned. And it, it really does start with looking at the concept of what it is you're trying to achieve for that particular work that's that's occurring there. And that does have to do with the design, uh, the art, the visualization, the sound. And many of those choices, even in designing the concept, do impact the health and wellness and the um, experience that individuals get when in the workplace. We talk about convenience, whether it's the commute, personal needs, food and gym, all of those amenities have to come together when you're looking at this experience that you're curating and designing. Communications, sometimes we don't talk about communications enough. Communications, if they're not done effectively, can cause a lot of stress. People feeling like they don't have a sense of understanding exactly what's going on, that could also impact your feeling of belonging and whether you actually uh, are as plugged in or connected as everyone else, which moves to connectivity. This is table stakes. So everything from access to great Wi-Fi, uh, cell phone service, um, 5G, the ability to work your devices. If this doesn't work, whether it's a commercial office building or a corporate uh, office environment, it is a, uh, a big impact on people's experience. And then again, stress levels and everything else. Comfort, whether it's the design, the furniture, uh, the ergonomics in those areas. When we talk about creativity, creativity is also the ability to constantly innovate that space and keep it fresh, keep it relevant, and keep it responding to the occupants that are there. We're gonna hit on critical environments because this goes everything from um, the components regarding information security, resiliency, uptime of the space, is it safe and secure? How has the planning go? And all of those other um, impacts. And then we talk about carbon neutrality, which is gonna be a big topic today because there's a balance between um, some of these other issues and getting to zero carbon and then also just understanding what the impacts around the way you're operating the space around fresh air, health, wellness, and some of those other areas that we've learned during the pandemic are critically important just to the health and wellness of the occupants. At the end of the day, creating a sense of community and then that culture of work and what that organization is trying to achieve comes down to a very effective uh, workplace for that organization as far as brand, um, it should have a deep meaning for that organization and then also looking at it as a social asset. So that's a, um, a lead into our panelists. And ultimately what we're gonna be looking at is whether it's presenteeism, which are people showing up but really not engaged in the work, absenteeism due to areas that could be from the office or just your ability to accommodate people remotely and then stress and the productivity of the space. So I'm going to ask our first panelist to join us, and I'm being joined by uh, John Chung. John, are you? Perfect. John, John is currently the VP of Portfolio Technology at Quadrille. He has over 20 years experience in real estate. He's currently focusing on technology within the built environment, including IoT, artificial intelligence, machine learning, data management, cloud, and smart buildings. So John, take it from here. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, Maureen, and hello, everyone. I'll uh, start off with just a quick background on Quadril Property Group. We're headquartered in Vancouver, Canada, and have approximately $67 billion in assets under management. Uh, we are a full-service uh, real estate company, and our assets fall primarily under the major categories, including commercial office, enclosed retail, 
industrial and uh, multifamily residential. And as Maureen mentioned, I work in the digital building group and look after primarily the building network and connectivity, data architecture and analytics, IoT and cybersecurity. So our digital building strategy uh, is based uh, on three uh, key pillars. The first pillar is the integrated digital operations and network infrastructure. This mainly includes a foundational converged wired and wireless network, a unified data architecture across the portfolio, and an IBMP at the building level that ties everything together. Um, the second pillar, <clears throat> excuse me, is to then leverage the existing connected building systems and IoT sensor overlays to drive things like operational excellence, enhance customer service, reduce costs, especially in the ESG space, et cetera. And then lastly, our third pillar revolves around, you know, bi-directional communication and interaction with the occupants and tenants of our assets the technology handshake, if you will, that easily and securely, securely allow for enhanced user experiences within our common areas and even in the tenant spaces directly. Oops. We spent the better part of two years and actually catalyzed by the pandemic, validating, piloting, and evaluating many IoT-based solutions. These include everything from occupancy sensors, IEQ that's very closely tied to health and wellness, uh, smart bathroom tech, real-time location services, leak detection and water utilization, mobile access, parking, et cetera. Um, I think our I think you know discussion around each category can be a whole session on its own. However, in most cases, we followed a very similar design pattern. We'd evaluate a category and generally get down to a few that would look promising to do a pilot. We then you know look at doing the pilot with the following key criteria: of course, efficacy of the technology, accuracy, ease of deployment, flexibility, and scalability, the network connectivity uh, options, as Maureen mentioned, you know, like having a variety of options uh, from the sensor, Wi-Fi, 5G, LP WAN, wired, et cetera. And we also try to avoid um, proprietary protocols and prefer the vendors connect to our backbone versus putting their own in. Uh, API access is also a must um, to be able to pull that information into our IBMP and data infrastructure. And you know, we what's also important is that they, they can do direct peering at the cloud level. Um, ongoing and maintenance, uh, ongoing maintenance and support is also very important. Lifespan of the sensor, does it support direct power and or um, battery? How does it impact our operations teams? Uh, privacy and security are also key and obvious. And lastly, from a costs uh, perspective, you know, does the solution fit within the economic model of the built environment? And more importantly, can we leverage this uh, digitized data in other ways? 
then you know lastly if it if if it passes these gates and there is value we look at more broad-based deployments and tie-ins to our digital playbooks these playbooks are unique to asset classes and include you know the major use cases user journeys basis for design enablement tech packages etc however keeping in mind that there may also be unique requirements at, at the local level um, I hope this was helpful and please feel free to reach out if you'd like uh, more color on anything I touched on. John, thanks. That was a great presentation. And I think that the way you um, really articulated that workplaces have had to become far more dynamic. And yet in some places in real estate, there's almost been a reluctance to engage heavily in creating a far more connected workplace. I guess, um, can you elaborate on what you meant by leveraging the IoT data, what you're doing right now? Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. I think one thing, you know, we've learned through this journey is that while it's important for, you know, the individual solutions to have value and stand on its own, the real secret sauce, and this is, you know, the, the data play side of things, is if you know the marginal cost of reusing this digitized data is close to zero and we can reuse it the value creation is tremendous um, a simple example of this is with you know, occupancy sensors and ieq sensors there's definitely value with understanding you know <clears throat> air quality and indoor environmental quality and also occupancy levels traffic patterns um, at a high resolution However, if we can integrate this data and let's say uh, with the IBMP and then based on, you know, certain IEQ readings like uh, CO2 levels and potentially occupancy levels, you know, we could affect the ramp up and shutdown times of the buildings um, and drive savings over time. And again, leveraging this data in kind of this higher order use case was you know is next to nothing from a cost perspective yeah it's sort of the holy grail i mean the big conversation right now is kind of twofold one uh measuring the gains in productivity from managing the space in a more dynamic way because for uh you know for workers themselves uh the return on their time and the return for the employer is quite high and yet the other return is if people can understand much more clearly how their teams are consuming the space, they could plan more readily and have more flexibility with the amount of space they're taking down. And so that is um, a, a big advancement uh, from where we were several years ago. It's exciting. Yeah, so what, were the, yeah, what are the key strategies uh, that you've used to enable that scaling and operationally IoT data um, for the built environment? Yeah, I think it goes back to, I can't remember which slide it was, but, you know, the key is putting the right scalable, secure building foundation in place first. Again, the, the converge network, the IPMP, the data infrastructure. Um, I think you really want to get ahead of this and not just put in a, a whole bunch of siloed solutions and, and networks for that matter. And then I think you also, on a lot of this stuff, you have to dig deep, roll up your sleeves and really unpack the tech. Um, before you deploy it. Mm. You know, there's been a recurring theme and concern um, around privacy of employees. It's a very big concern 
for many corporations and just the employee reaction to understanding the amount of data you're collecting around movement utilization. And then the other concern is around cyber um, related concerns. Um, how do you deal with those and what should people be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, our, our approach to it, you know, we, we so, you know, we're, we're trying to digitize the built environment. Um, and, you know, this is a key data acquisition strategy for us. So, you know, like you said, cyber and privacy are critical. We actually use ourselves as guinea pigs in our own corporate space requirements um, before we look at expanding that to, you know, the, whether it's the base building level or to our tenancies. And, you know, we go through that whole process internally, uh, the, the impact to privacy with, like you said, things like occupancy sensors, um, you know, going through privacy assessments with, you know, third parties and, you know, engaging our internal legal teams as well. Okay. All right. Great. Well, I look forward to the broader panel discussion and thank you. You did a very, very nice job taking a pretty complex topic and making it very consumable for us. Not a problem. Thank you. Okay. Our next panelist is Wyatt Merrill. Wyatt. Um, Wyatt is with the United States Department of Energy, and he is a technology manager with the Building Technologies Office. He leads two emerging technology subprograms, the Solid State Lighting, which is the SSL program, and the Building Electric Appliances, Devices, and Systems, or the BEADS program. Together, these portfolios span all electric end uses in the buildings other than the HVAC and water heating. Wyatt, thank you and welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, uh, and, and thank you for that introduction, Maureen. As, as Maureen mentioned, I wear uh, a couple of hats at the Department of Energy in our Building Technologies office. And within the, the two programs mentioned, we have a lot of activities ranging from stakeholder engagement and technology road mapping to uh, more fundamental R&D uh, uh, efforts. Um, and of course, I won't have time to, to, to delve into all that, but um, I did wanna take today to highlight a few projects that we're running uh, through our lighting program uh, at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. Um, and uh, just say a couple of things about uh, each each project here, I won't have time to get into a lot of detail, but um, these are the researchers you can see here that are responsible for the work. I want to make sure that that they get credit for that. Um, and this is a subset of our of our full research team at at PNNL at the Advanced Lighting uh, Program there. Um, and I think the reason I chose these uh, specific projects for this talk is they're they're really getting beyond our, our traditional uh, bread and butter efficiency uh, opportunities in the space of, of lighting. So what I'm showing there on the right is, is the uh, advancements that, that we've seen and that we've uh, driven in, in some sense through our R&D program uh, in lumens per watt, which is a, a typical way of measuring uh, lighting efficiency. Um, and, and that's that's been enormously successful to the tune of you know $20 billion of, of annual energy savings for consumers and around 80 million metric tons of CO2 prevented. Um, and and so not not to downplay that at all, it's it's, it's tremendously successful uh, uh, aspect of our lighting program. But I, I wanna just take a few minutes to look at some projects that are maybe more relevant for the lighting space and um, or sorry, more relevant for the for the healthy building space, uh, and think about what what are the new emerging opportunities in lighting beyond this uh, lumens per watt paradigm. Uh, 
Um, and so I'll, it's sort of a grab bag here of, of different projects that I'll just mention a little bit about each one. Uh, and then in the Q&A, if there's questions, maybe we can talk a little more about them. So uh, one thing that we know from some of our, our simulations that we've done with PNNL is that some of the new building standards around uh, so-called so healthy lighting, um, lighting for physiology and so on, can really drive uh, energy costs uh, as much as potentially twice as much energy would be needed for electric lighting um, to, to hit the, the well building standard, for instance. Um, and so uh, one of the things that we're looking at is uh, how much can, can daylighting or the use of natural light uh, compensate for some of these energy costs. And so that's um, uh, what I'm showing here is uh, a simulation of, of healthy lighting um, and um, parts of the day when, when daylighting would be sufficient and, and would not. Um, we also have a number of studies looking at uh, sort of real world examples, uh, so-called living labs. Uh, in, in this case, uh, I'm highlighting uh, the Parsons School of Design in, in New York, where we looked at um, uh, integrating uh, daylight sensors. And then we also have, um, this is just two of, of a number of studies, but we did a, a study in uh, the University of Kentucky uh, in the neonatal intensive care unit, uh, looking at tunable lighting systems uh, and how they're actually used uh, in the real world um, and, and not just sort of uh, in a simulation. Um, uh, we're, we're also looking at uh, uh, indoor environmental quality uh, sensing. Um, lighting, I think, is, is uh, very unique in terms of being so ubiquitous throughout the built environment in every room and every building pretty much. Uh, and, and so it, it's, it's a really, I think, uh, a smart place to, to put sensors um, and, and, and then to potentially coordinate across uh, other parts of the built environment. Um, uh, and so this is, this is one study that, that we did uh, looking at specifically uh, uh, parameters like temperature and humidity and light level and noise level, air quality, uh, and then looking at different um, uh, ways of, of capturing uh, the, the response of, of people in the building through wearable sensors, sorry, um, uh, and, and, and monitors. Um, I want to mention also briefly, we have a, a prize. We're in the second phase um, of three called the L prize. Um, and, and for this second, the first phase was, was a concept phase and the second phase, uh, which is focused on uh, real prototypes, um, uh, has a requirement uh, for, for uh, a universal uh, standardized uh, uh, connector for, for sensors through, through D4i. Um, and, and so this is um, specifically targeting commercial building uh, luminaires and troppers. Um, and and uh, I think just speaks to the opportunity in the space for, for adding sensors um, into these lighting systems. And then finally, I just wanted to mention uh, we're, we're now uh, in with the, uh, uh, the, the new standards recommended uh, through ASHRAE and CDC for um, uh, greater ventilation um, uh, for, for uh, uh, virus transmission or, or to, to, to reduce virus transmission. Uh, we're looking at how to, to uh, integrate um, uh, UV lighting into, into luminaires uh, to, to potentially uh, uh, disinfect at, at a, a lower overall energy footprint. Um, and if you're familiar with some of the old uh, testing that we've done uh, for, for lighting uh, through the, the caliper program, we're doing something similar to that 
in terms of um, credentialing and uh, independently verifying um, these uh, germicidal UV systems that are coming onto market um, just now in the last couple of years, uh, uh, more and more. Um, and so with that, I think that's my last slide. Um, just wanted to uh, thank you again for, for having me today and the chance to highlight some of these uh, research efforts at PNNL. Um, it looks like there was a, a link in the chat there um, that uh, I, I'll give a little bit of explanation for as well. Um, we have upcoming webinars uh, in collaboration with the Illuminating Engineering Society, um, and those will be uh, a great opportunity to learn more about some of the PNNL activities that are um, uh, relevant to some of this work and, and a lot of other work. Um, the, the headline for these series is Taming Complexity. Uh, and we'll be looking at everything from energy codes to data, Flickr, sustainable design, and controls. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks, Wyatt. Uh, I had a question. Um, as you were going through that, I would assume that um, you've come across some challenges uh, with your teams and your research efforts. And um, what have you uncovered uh, with trying to connect these uh, lighting systems? Any issues, uh, hurdles? And yeah. what advice would you give us? So the, uh, the, the living laboratories that I mentioned um, have been a really great opportunity to learn about some of these obstacles that you're describing when it comes to connected lighting systems. And a lot of it is not technical, although some of it is. Um, uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, ease of installation um, and, and uh, uh, sort of workforce development activities uh, so, that, so that people who are uh, installing these systems have, have uh, the information that they need to, to do it right the first time. Um, but but I think there's also a lot of opportunities around uh, developing uh, standards in the industry, uh, voluntary, you know, uh, uh, you know, common forms, configuration methods, um, uh, and, and also around uh, some of the interoperability between um, lighting systems and other parts of the, the building. So I think the big sort of opportunity in the space here is not so much sensors to control the lights, although that's of course part of it, but sensors that can then relay that information to other parts of the building, um, like the HVAC system or the water heater, um, or even plug loads. Um, and and to, to do that, we need we need to make progress on, on uh, topics like semantic interoperability for, for how these uh, systems uh, talk to each other, um, for, uh, you know, out of the box, potentially from different manufacturers, different, um, you know, uh, uh, brands. So um, that that's a big challenge technically, but I, I think there's just as big a challenge on the, the ease of installation and use side uh, that, that remains from, from what we've seen in, in some of our living laboratory examples, uh, where we're following the entire process, not just the, the use of the lighting system, but the, the installation from start to finish. Yeah, and I could see on your one slide, there's kind of like the struggle between the health and wellness factors, like from the glare you had shown, and then the need to close the shades and then increase the lighting. And it could be on a very sunny day, which would increase uh, energy consumption. And so I think your point about interoperability, has most of your research been in um, like occupied facilities? Because I know with the DOE, you're probably really focused on maybe government occupied facilities. Have you Done any work in buildings that are multi-tenanted where you'd have occupied space and trying to interface with landlord systems? So the um, the examples that I showed were were not government buildings. So that we had the neonatal care center was at the University of Kentucky, and the 
Parsons School in New York. Uh, was you know it's a school. Um, we 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 have a number of other real world studies, um, mostly mostly in commercial settings and healthcare settings, um, uh, as opposed to uh, you know multifamily residential settings. We we do have sub metering studies for for those, but but they're not specifically. Um, but but to answer your question, we yes we 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 do have um, a lot of data on that both in terms of lighting and in terms of other end uses. That's fantastic. So it'd be a great resource uh, for the commercial real estate community. Um, yeah, we have, we have a lot of resources and tools that um, you know I'd be happy to 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 provide if anybody wants to reach out. Um, uh, we, we we publish regular analyses, um, uh, both model driven and and real real world studies. Um, uh, we uh, convene stakeholders on a regular basis to discuss uh, you know, the biggest obstacles in in the space. So, um, yeah, it's uh, a, a lot there, more than I had time to talk about today. But um, thank you for having me again. Oh, absolutely! It's great to have you. Thanks, Wyatt. So our next panelist is um, going to be joining us from, hold on, I'm so sorry, I can't, I'm having trouble seeing her for a minute, um, is Lauren Long. And Lauren is uh, the Director of Marketing Operations at Prescriptive Data. She has been in the building energy space for over a decade, leading marketing for various companies and is an expert writer and content strategist. So Lauren, welcome, and we're looking forward to your presentation. Thank you, Maureen. Hi everyone, and thanks for joining. I'm Lauren Long, and I'm the Director of Marketing and Prescriptive Data. Prescriptive Data was started in 2015 out of a need for a building energy management platform that could think for itself. Today, we're the creators of Nantum OS, an award-winning platform for commercial real estate that optimizes building performance. By combining historical data with predictive analysis and real-time occupancy, Nantum enables buildings to hit their ESG goals. The new focus of offices is on health and wellness, and it's no surprise as we are hopefully coming out of a pandemic. In fact, it's so much of a focus that initiatives around health and wellness can be seen as an office amenity, and one that is more attractive than more traditional amenities like a corner office or a coffee bar. Today's workers often have the choice to work at the office or in another remote location, so offices need to try to bring people back. Now people are more aware and concerned about the impact of where they are on their health. They're asking, how will being in this space impact how I feel? However, it's not just about the individual anymore. It's also about how the space impacts the health of the planet too. Offices that are occupied need to be comfortable and safe, but they also need to be transparent about what they're doing in regards to climate. Where does climate transparency come from? Well, taking a bit of a step back, there are three market drivers for sustainability. One is the headline frequenting regulatory mandates such as Local Law 97 in New York, BEPS in DC, and Bordeaux in Boston. Another is public corporate commitments to be net zero by 2030 or another measurement of progress by a certain date. Finally, there's pressures from investors and consumers. Uh, investors know that the sustainability market is growing and they want to benefit from the opportunity as well as to be recognized for supporting initiatives that matter. And consumers feel much the same way and are now in a position to make demands as occupants. 
Just like how consumers vote with their dollars, employees vote through where they choose to work. This includes choosing a building that cares about health and wellness and choosing an employer who has an office space in such a building. These individuals, especially the younger generations, want employers that are transparent and interactive. Occupants want to know what their individual contribution and effect on emissions is and how they can improve it. With cancel culture at an all-time high and validity often in question, greenwashing is a big red flag to avoid. And finally, uh, occupants want to be in a space that utilizes the latest technology to monitor, track, and make data-backed decisions about carbon emissions reductions and energy improvements. So prescriptive data's Nantum brings what people want to know into one place. This includes building systems like HVAC, security, BMS, and elevators, as well as energy data and more. What's the result? Benchmarking and data points to monitor, as well as knowledge about the health of a space like air quality. One driving component of the system is occupancy data. While occupancy can be measured in numerous ways from turnstiles and entry sensors to individual desk sensors, occupancy can feed real-time data into BMS systems so that energy is only spent where and when a space is used. Of course, occupancy can also impact how an individual feels about being in a space, but today we're focused on, focusing on the external health and wellness benefits, uh, those that impact climate. What, does, what effect does real-time occupancy sensor data have on building operational performance? It eliminates unnecessary runtime. This is possible through feeding accurate and precise data into AI that utilizes machine learning to know when and where building systems need to be running. For example, look here at the 2017 solar eclipse. The green line represents energy demand and the red line is real-time occupancy levels. You can see how building systems were able to react to unexpected occupancy changes and save energy without sacrificing comfort. Of course, there are a number of ways to count people and each building in a portfolio might need a different solution, but normalizing occupancy data can lead to numerous benefits. Uh, as you can see on this slide, recent data shows that the number of office workers who care about their company's initiatives about the environment is growing right alongside the number of wellness-related building certifications. While IAQ might be talked about most often in regards to offices, the health and wellness status of the planet outside of the building matters too. Jumping back into sensors, besides the obvious benefit that only occupied floors will be optimized for comfort, energy savings and cost reduction, these buildings demonstrate qualities of a smarter building that prioritizes health and wellness in and out of the building. Proof is there that occupants want to be in places that care about the environment, and it's time for owners and operators to use tech to make sure their property is appealing for occupants to come and to stay. Additionally, data from MIT has shown that healthy buildings can charge up to almost 8% more rent per square foot. Fortunately, what is good for the environment's health and well-being is also good for occupants, as well as the bottom line of buildings. Sensors installed into buildings for health and wellness reasons are not limited to indoor comfort. In fact, the same data that occupants sensors share to reduce overcrowding in a space can also be used as inputs for AI systems that not only better the indoor building space, but also reduce carbon emissions and improve the health and wellness of our planet. <clears throat> 
With capabilities like these, buildings will not only attract tenants, but they'll retain them. So Lauren, it was great hey, presentation. Yeah, it's a fantastic presentation. And I, I think it kind of brings to light and connects a lot of the other presentations we just saw because it really, they all um, are addressing elements of bringing this important data together. But um, I guess one question I would have is we think about the idea around the occupancy sensors and uh, we've spoken about lighting and some of these other areas. How can AI paired with occupancy sensors uh, support the ever-changing demands of uh, hybrid offices? So one of the challenges of hybrid work is that you don't really know when people are coming in. They used to always come in at a nine to five schedule or so you could always ramp up your buildings at 5 a.m. and get them running so that the space was at a comfortable level for people when they arrived. And then you knew that they were leaving at 6 p.m. or so, so you could start ramping down the building at 5 p.m., et cetera, to make sure that you weren't wasting energy without sacrificing comfort of the occupants. So with hybrid work, you don't know when people are coming in and out. It's not predictable. Um, and you also, it can vary based on department or team. So you could have a whole building, but only, you know, floors two and three are used on Monday and Tuesday and floors, you know, three and five are used Wednesday, Thursday. But with utilizing real-time occupancy sensors, you can make um, adjustments to the building operational run schedule in real time so that it's not wasting energy. Um, it's great to utilize historical data, but in today's work environment, it just doesn't really make sense for all the time. Mm -hmm. And like, how advanced do you think the systems are getting? I um, worked in an office not that long ago that if a lot of the people had left to your point, it was extremely flexible work, you would find yourself sitting in the dark often because um, there weren't a lot of other people <laughs> around and you were heads down working and the whole floor would shut down and then you'd have to get up and move around to get everything going again. Um, you know, in your experience, uh, you know, two or three people left in the office, it doesn't mean they're turning off the lights and trying to send you home. What um, what are you seeing in the advances in that area? You just made me have a flashback to meetings and offices where you're sitting in a conference room and has, someone has to jump up and like wave their arms to get the lights back on. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, sensors have come a very long way since those days. Um, you know, they're a lot smaller, they're a lot less expensive, and they're definitely um, more intelligent, more precise. So depending on what level of occupancy tracking you want in the, in the building, you can get the right sensor for that. Um, some companies and buildings just focus on entry sensors. So they're tracking who comes in and out, um, others are more specific about building-related occupancy, so um, which enables you know better operations based on floors. Mm -hmm. And what what would you say is a good realistic timeline um, for buildings to um, actually get access to these sensors and install them for the health and wellness benefits? We like to think that the best time has already happened. You know, the best time was yesterday, but um, you know, the sooner that you get started, the better. Uh, it's amazing how much you can learn about a building with just a few sensors. Uh, you don't need to have a very advanced system to really learn more about what is happening within the environment. 
Um, so the best time to start is today. Okay, great. Well, I look forward to you joining us in the panel conversation later. Thank you. Thank you, Marie. So our next panelist is Philip Veen. As Vice President of Innovation and Strategy, Philip drives the innovation program and manages existing near-term and future project strategies at Comfy and Lighted. He has experience in building new connected businesses and in management consulting. Welcome, Philip. Thank you, Maureen. Thank you for the intro. Um, hi, everyone. As Maureen said, my name is Philip. Um, I know how hard those webinars can be, so um, I'm really thankful um, for everyone that uh, signed in today. So pretty much we had the choice at the beginning to, to choose whether we want to talk about our company or show a video. But um, as I'm today here in Switzerland, in Zug, um, I wanted to take the chance and talk about Comfy and Enlighted from this point, because I am thankful to be in a connected office today, which is equipped with Comfy and Enlighted. And as we heard in the intro already, Comfy and Lighted was acquired by Siemens Smart Infrastructure. And their motto or our motto is um, to create perfect places. And I am in an office where I pretty much have a perfect place and a very amazing office from both sides, which means I have workplace technology, an application where I can book my rooms and they adapt to me while at the same time, I have smart sensors that um, take care of the lighting, measure the occupancy, and also enable buildings to do real-time location services. So let's jump into this part of the webinar. How smart sensors change our workplace experience. In the next minutes, I want to guide you through the idea of what is a workplace experience. And I also want to bring you to a point of thinking because when we think of a workplace, there's something in particular we have in mind, which might not always be true. Then we want to look at some of the results and the success stories that we did create already as Comfy and Lighted from both parts, which is the workplace experience and at the same time, the lighting which creates energy efficiency and sustainable uh, buildings. And then in the end, we want to look at the future and at the question, why does space really matter? So if we think about an office or a great, great workplace, this is what we have in mind, right? We think of nice places. We think of great technology. We think of the time where we work together in person and um, we have a certain feeling about wellness and a great experience in the workplace. But the reality does look different. And the workplace is not always an office. A workplace can be in a university for many, many people. A workplace can be in manufacturing. A workplace can be in a hospital. And I just finished a three-day healthcare summit here in Switzerland with all our colleagues from the world, from Siemens, who work on healthcare. But it can also be the office. So we have to think, when we think about wellness in the workplace, we have to think bigger. And this is exactly what we do at Comfy and Lighted. If we look at our success stories, it was very hard to choose because 
we do not only accelerate the quality of offices as a workplace, but also of hospitals, of manufacturing spaces, we create a better workplace also for the people on the shop floor. But for today, we chose two very special um, success stories and case studies. One of them is Avarta, which is a Bertelsmann company. And there, we simply help them to make it possible for 7,000 employees to reserve the desks, the meeting rooms, pretty much personalize them fully automated and empower every single employee to choose the right workplace that suits the tasks. And this will get even more important in the hybrid future. So we need flexible spaces, as we just heard. But flexible spaces cannot be, can, can sometimes be one building, but sometimes, as we see here, we had 30 EU offices and a total of 63,000 square meters. And across those offices, the employees have one connected workplace app to coordinate each other, but also to coordinate the work they do in the different places. If we look at Menlo Business Park, we created an amazing place from the other side, building the bridge into the IoT using the smart sensors from Enlighted. And there, we can really say we made this a sustainable and energy efficient place. We had 500,000 square feet, which is approximately 50,000 square meters. And we brought in IoT lighting and automated HVAC control over the building management system. So our sensors do not only decrease the electricity bill, they do the space analysis, which in the end adapts the HVAC operations. So if you only have 20% occupancy in your office, we know where those 20% are and we adapt the HVAC operations based on that. So why does this matter so much? If we look at workplaces, and I mean hospitals, university campuses, manufacturing and offices, we can decrease energy, decrease CO2 by so much using technology, using smart sensors, but also making it easier for people to coordinate their daily work. So with this, um, I really wanted to show everyone in here um, what we can do, but at the same time, I hope that you guys um, start thinking and think bigger than only the office space. Thank you. Philip, thank you. Um, that was uh, wonderful in the fact that you're really shedding a light on many of the different work environments that people engage in every day. And the impact of sensors are more advanced, obviously, in some areas than others. So when you look broadly across global real estate, whether it's in the manufacturing sector, retail, healthcare, what are the major trends you're observing in the market uh, regarding the future of the workplace? Yeah, well, while we still in the office space see that the discussions are going on, is it hybrid? Do you have to come back for two or three days? There are many industries where this was never a discussion over the last two years. We have customers, even in office jobs in manufacturing, they came to the office every single day wearing a mask for eight hours straight on your laptop, right? So we see the trend is there that we will have offices in the future and that we will have people coming into the office. But 
based on the technology we use as co consumers coming from big tech, we also have to give the people a great workplace experience. And this is exactly what we can do with our um, workplace applications. All right, well, how would you say then that technology is actually influencing sustainable and safe workplaces? Because is would you say the take-up is happening um, at a pace that you would have expected? Is it slow? Is it hastening? Where What, what is the pace right now? And what do you think uh, is going to uh, have to happen if it is not as quickly as you would think? What would have to happen to speed it up? Well, I think that great solutions always um, are a result coming from big problems, right? And um, I do think that um, the, the, the crisis of the last two years accelerated workplace technology already because now we have to be more flexible. And if you look at the, the startup space, you also see more innovation coming. Um, but at the same time, I do think that we just have to convince customers, and therefore I mean any workplace, to give it a try. So if the speed is not high enough, um, smaller pilots or corporations, also of the companies that are in this webinar today, um, collaborational projects can really drive innovation and accelerate the speed towards better workplaces. Okay, well, I think that's a great answer. And I, I we're going to have more conversation on this between the panel uh, when we all get together, um, which will be uh, coming up shortly. So thanks again, and look forward to the further discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Maureen. Sure. Well, before we continue, we do have a video that we'd like to share um, from View. So let's watch the video and then we'll continue. Hello, I'm Rao Mulpuri, and along with my colleagues, over the last 12 years, we've been building View to transform the day-to-day -day window. The smart window controls heat and glare, eliminates blinds and shades, and provides view and natural light all the time. Because we have a highly connected system, we're able to bring a whole host of smart building applications. For example, this video you're watching is coming to you through the View Smart Display, which is a high-definition display that's installed right into the window. Also on this platform, we have a sensor array that has a number of environmental sensors, and these can be used in order to control the environment precisely for the health and wellness of the people these new applications transform buildings into living spaces that help us engage, interact, and communicate with each other. The buildings will be transformed into high-speed 5G cell towers with complete wireless coverage. Now that the blinds are lifted, these humanized spaces will keep us entertained while keeping us connected to natural light and views of the outdoors. And we're just getting started. Well, our final panelist that we're going to be introducing is Rahul Bami. And Rahul is the Chief Business Officer at VIEW, the leader in smart building technologies. In his role at VIEW, Rahul leads the product management, business operations, sales, business development strategy, and marketing functions. So welcome, Rahul. We're looking forward to your comments. you're muted okay sorry can you hear me now yeah. yes perfect okay. great 
sorry about that. Uh, I hope. Thank you, Maureen. Uh, thank you for having me on the panel, and uh, I hope you all enjoyed that video. There are there are a few pretty cool things in there, and I'll talk about them a little more. Uh, just a quick introduction to View. We're a 13-year-old tech company based in Silicon Valley. Uh, we set out on a mission to transform real estate, and I'll talk a little bit more about what that means. Uh, today, our smart window solutions are designed and installed into about 100 million square feet in North America, and then we've got another kind of our software and sensor solutions, another 50 million square feet, and we're seeing quite a bit of uptick in the, as we go through that. Um, so uh, transforming real estate, what, what that quite means, I think from our perspective, uh, you know, one I'll start with is kind of the sustainability and, and climate change. I think uh, we all know this, kind of buildings are responsible for almost about 40% of carbon emissions. Uh, and there is an imperative to improve this, both for our sakes and for the sakes of future generations. So we thought about how what we could do to really um, uh, lower the energy footprint and carbon footprint of buildings. But then we wanted to go beyond that and really focus on the fact that as people, we spend close to 90% of our time inside buildings between work and home and other areas and so on. And we haven't given, or society's not given enough thought so far to how to improve that experience and not be on a superficial level, right? Not just improve it as in, I have nicer furniture and fruit, I think as Maureen mentioned, but even how do we make it healthier? How do we make it less stressful? How do we make that better? So we've really focused on, the, on improving the energy footprint, on the experience people have in buildings, and then on improving the health and wellness. And um, uh, as before I go into those solutions and how we've done that, we also had this vision around uh, not just providing uh, you know, products and outcomes now, but on building in the right infrastructure into buildings and recognizing that you make a building and you know, it's there for 50 years, how do we make a building more like a smartphone? That if the infrastructure is there, you can easily upgrade it through software upgrades and others and so on at a pretty low, uh, you know, low headaches, low, uh, low cost way of really just continuing to improve the experience in building every few months. Uh, and that's kind of the infrastructure layer because none of us know what, what solutions are gonna be imagined five years from now, but whenever they do come out, we want them to be very easy to deploy. So with that, uh, really using technology as a base. Uh, the other critical point here, I think, is we've sometimes seen this framed as, uh, you know, the, the debate gets framed as, well, we can improve climate change or we can improve or we can improve, improve the energy experience or the uh, human experience, and they may be in conflict. And we've taken an approach to say great innovation is really about eliminating those trade-offs. And it's possible to do both together, both improve the energy footprint and improve the experience and improve the health. So. Uh, as you saw in the video, the first product we really came up with was smart windows. Uh, this is this is an actual installation in in New York, and as you see, kind of the uh, it's a time lapse. Uh, smart windows, very simply, just think of it as sunglasses for buildings, except that every window has an IP address and just adjusts on its own. So as you see, one of the one of the best first things you should notice here: no blinds, amazing views, and a lot of natural light. That's the experience portion. Um, in addition to experiences, we think about health. Um, it's not a stretch of the imagination. We, we all know natural light is good for us as, as a species and 
that's why we go out and hike on the weekends and take walks and like the sunlight. But that hadn't been quantified enough. So being scientists, we said, let's go work with our customers and some researchers and so on to very objectively and scientifically measure the effect that it has on people. And just with natural light, we were actually, even ourselves, kind of blown away with what we saw over and over again in different studies and what our customers saw. Um, people are literally seeing 50% reductions in reported eye strain and headaches. And this is just because there's more natural light coming into the buildings. There's no, there are no blinds. It's you're more in sync with your circadian rhythm and natural light kind of helps those, uh, helps reduce computer vision syndrome, helps reduce eye strain and headaches. People actually report sleeping longer uh, and even uh, lower instances of depression, more productivity, right? So uh, we've really tried to lend science to this and uh, uh, we've, we've been, uh, uh, we've been gratifying with kind of seeing these results and our customers have seen this uh, over and over again. So, uh, you know, and this is, I talked about the trade trade-off earlier, people are seeing the benefits at the same time, the windows are keeping, the smart windows are keeping heat and glare out of the buildings and reducing the energy footprint by 10 to 15%. Uh, so a, a good example of uh, essentially getting both a better experience, better health, as well as uh, as well as a lower energy footprint. Uh, moving beyond kind of smart windows, as we, you know, in our evolution, as we look to this, I think a few other people have talked about sensors and data. Uh, we've uh, been believers in in uh, the fact that not just light, but if you think of the broader human senses, air quality, sound, uh, uh, even pressure, and so on, all make a difference to our environment. Uh, in fact, I heard someone, you know, I read a study somewhere which says your building's facilities manager has a greater impact on your everyday health, health than your physician, which sounds very surprising when you say that. When you think about it, you're at work for a large part of your life. Uh, and uh, there's actually a lot of truth to that statement. But what we've been able to do with kind of using a combination of sensors and, uh, uh, and data is to both improve kind of air quality that we breathe in, reduce the unwanted uh, aspects like carbon dioxide and so on, uh, use locationing data and combining it with uh, with environmental data to uh, and presence data to also lower the energy footprint. So some of the health benefits you've seen here, uh, some and uh, you know there are lots of studies there. Our customers are validating this, uh, at least prior to the pandemic, reduced absenteeism, people are actually showing up at work more often. They have reduced sick leaves. Uh, they report higher productivity. Uh, in general, the uh, cognitive function goes up. So these are all things that we've not in the past, at least in real estate, thought of as quantifiable scientific uh, outcomes that but, uh, we've, we've been able to drive these. Uh, now, this is the journey. So we'll, we'll, continue, we'll continue to go down this path. Uh, one of the other points I want to make here is uh, I've observed this myself over the last six, seven years, that as we do this, uh, you know, there are, there's a segment of society that readily accepts this. But then there's a large portion that says, well, all of this costs money. How do I know? I'm not sure we can afford to do this. And the point I want to uh, highlight to everybody is people are now much more aware of these. 
we're actually seeing this where tenants actually value a great experience and they pay for it. These are all our customers where developers who are building with us are actually seeing higher financial outcomes on their returns because they are getting tenants who say, yes, I want a healthier building with more natural light, with better air quality, with the right outcomes. And uh, I I, want to make this point on, uh, you know, I have high conviction around the fact that if with innovation, we can make the right thing to do, the easy thing to do, it drives adoption much much faster. And, And I think we're finally getting there as, as, as an industry and society getting there. And I'll end with that. Okay, that was great. Um, Rahul, when you're speaking about uh, the urgent need to rapidly reduce building energy and the importance of buildings play in our health, like you're talking about the facility managers, um, do you believe that uh, there's going to be a trade-off between sustainability and health? And how would you prioritize between the two? Or as you were saying, maybe you don't have to. Exactly. So Maureen, and you hit you you hit the you hit it on the head with the last portion. I think we don't have to. A lot of people believe there is one, and I think that's a false choice. And some of this is just about educating people. So I'll give you a few examples, right? I mentioned this in the case of smart windows. It's reducing the energy footprint by 10 to 15% for a building. That's pretty impactful, pretty material number. At the same time, it's improving the outcome and health. And I think this is, people didn't realize that. It's just us educating them. We are seeing the same thing with sensors. And I think I heard both Lauren and John kind of talk, allude to this. Uh, we are, you know, by, but the majority of data, unfortunately, goes unused in buildings today. So another example of this, just taking information and cons- aggregating it between uh, uh, kind of IEQ sensors and presence and just occupancy information, we're able to both improve the co- materially improve the environment and health and reduce the energy footprint by another 15 to 20%. So there is no trade-off. We could actually do both. Uh, I think it's really just the education is, a, is a, it's probably the first step. And uh, as more and more proof points come come out there, I think we'll we convert more people. Okay, great, thank you. I think at this point we will um, open it up to the broader panel, and I've got a follow-on question that uh, has prompted me, Rahul, when you were just speaking. So, welcome back, everyone. Um, the first question uh, that comes to mind, uh, particularly after uh, hearing all of your presentations, there's a, a recurring theme. And uh, we're hearing a lot about the goals to reach net zero by 2030, 2050. Is the same type of thinking needed when it comes to health? Uh, and Rahul, since you wrapped up, uh, why don't we start with you and then we'll, we'll move through some of the other panelists. I'm gonna ask some of you what you think about that question. Uh, sure, uh, Maureen, and I, I think that's a great point. I, I absolutely, fundamentally believe it is, and you know, some of this is, uh, I'll say, to solve a problem, you have to first admit you have a problem. So, uh, you know, we are where we were. Probably, I look at it and say, say, real estate is where uh, where society was with food maybe 30 years ago, right? And 30 to 40 years ago, we just consumed. What right society has evolved from? Let me get enough calories uh, in. That something that tastes better to now let me eat something that's healthier and without preservatives and so on right and that was a in 1990 that was probably a thing that a few people in oregon and california did 
but it wasn't broad-based. Today, we all do that, right? We are all very conscious of what we put in our bodies. And from that perspective, uh, I think it's imperative that, as I mentioned earlier, we're spending 90% of our time indoors. We have to have some uh, greater awareness and recognition of how that happens. And the value of setting some kind of goals like a net zero goal by 2030 or so on is we'd set some health metrics that it's a, uh, it's a unifying and guiding point for everyone. And, and so I think this is where all of us can educate people more and then hopefully coalesce around some kind of uh, goal because it's imperative to our health. Great. And then, Philip, I'm going to ask you, based on your presentation, there's a big um, kind of similarity there in, in your approach and your view. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Raul, I, I love what you just said. And um, I just want to add there, uh, this is a unique situation pretty much because in many industries, when you grow, you pretty much work against sustainability, right? But in this industry, as we grow better places together, as we make places um, more rich of technology, we at the same time promote sustainability and promote health for the people. And Rahul, you were talking about the cardiac rhythm and everything, right? Um, I would I would say 40 years ago, we ate whatever we wanted. Right now, we consume anything we want in a different way with our eyes and our ears. We put Bluetooth into our earphones and send waves through our brain. We have bright lights. So I think this is the next big wave of health that will come. And at the same time, it increases um, the sustainability uh, of buildings. So... Yeah, that's that's everything I, I can add to to the amazing things Rahul already said. Okay, great. Thanks, Philip. Uh, John, so something strikes me when I'm listening to all this that um, there's a path for smart building technology, but what's going to happen? What do you think the time frame would be uh, to reach mass adoption, given the slow pace of change in commercial real estate? It, it's it's a slow take up because of I think. A lot of us talked about the business case. Um, so, what's your what's your view on that? I think it's going to evolve, Marine, around multiple tracks. So, I think you know um, you're going to have some of the you know the larger um, uh, property owners kind of look at things from a portfolio perspective and see you know what can we do both for you know, our new greenfield projects as well as our existing brownfield ones, they're not necessarily the same strategy. And then I think also, you know, you don't have to go big bang on this stuff. You can still, um, you know, look at, you know, specific use cases, whether it's for a tenant or, you know, at a certain base building level and, you know, kind of take baby steps as well. And I, I think that even within our own portfolio, we kind of take both approaches. Okay. Well, that's helpful. I think it gives people an understanding that you don't have to go, uh, you know, uh, to extremes to get, as um, I know several of you have mentioned, just a few sensors to start will give you a lot of rich data. Um, we've got a very good question um, from someone uh, in the audience who, who asked, um, who do we see as the main stakeholders in sponsoring healthy building initiatives? And I think the point is, a lot of us talked about um, 
the idea around whether it's presenteeism or absenteeism, it's the whole idea around how productive can you be in the space and how are you feeling and uh, and that has to do with it's it's mental physical wellness and uh, just the sense of belonging within your workplace. So many people, when they look, particularly in real estate, we were focused on the E for a long time. We were looking at the ROI, and now we're looking at the ROP, so the return on your people and what that means for productivity. So the question is, are HR leaders now leaning in because of occupant demands, because of the employees, or do you see the initiatives are still really being driven predominantly by the real estate teams? And uh, I think I'll start with... Uh, Lauren, on that question, uh, what's your sense of that? I think it's a combination of both. Um, you know, HR leaders have a lot of challenges in recruiting these days and, um, you know, retaining your employees. So one way that they can do that is to prove that their, you know, their company is leading the way as far as ESG initiatives go. Um, and not only that they care about the environment as a company, but that they are creating a safe and healthy place for their employees within the office. You know, um, it's not so much about ping pong tables and, you know, on tap brew, but, you know, they want healthy windows and air circulation and plants. Um, and then as far as real estate teams, you know, they're, they're, uh, they have to answer two different types of pressures. Um, and those are equally as important, but they're approaching, it's, it's the same, end game but they're coming from two different angles okay and then why it you know you had also mentioned that you've worked in other environments outside of office uh, as has philip and, and many of you and um when you see some of the initiatives that your teams have worked on have you seen sponsorship across an organization or is it also being predominantly being driven by the real estate and the facilities team are you seeing hr and other stakeholder groups um I I'm not sure I, I know the answer to that, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I typically work on sort of pre-competitive uh, R&D for the most part and, and don't necessarily have that uh, connection to the, um, to the building owners uh, directly. And we do have a, a, a more deployment focused uh, part of our office, which could probably give you a better answer. But um, I, I think in many cases, I'm not, this doesn't exactly answer your question directly, but there are tools that that are, are are yet to be developed or should be developed for for some of the ways that we specify and design these spaces from from the start. Um, there's a lot of un, unresolved kind of questions around uh, the actual benefits of, of certain types of light, for instance. Um, uh, so there's there's a lot of kind of open questions in the space that I think if we if we can make progress answering those with researchers and we can provide certain tools for for designers and specifiers and architects and so on it'll be uh you know whoever's making those decisions on on the on the real estate side will, will be better equipped to to do it the right way okay well rahul i had asked about um trends earlier right when i asked philip and i guess from your perspective where do you see this heading, this conversation? Is it a broader base within an organization or is it going to continue to be a real estate uh, and facilities driven focus? Yeah. Uh, it, uh, Maureen, I'm glad you asked. I think it absolutely has to be broader driven. In fact, uh, we've seen that evolve even over the last five years where we're talking more often to CEOs, to HR folks, to CFOs, 
and outside real estate. And if I look at companies, there's a very good reason for it. Most real estate people get measured by, don't be late, don't be over budget. They don't get incentivized to say, why don't you go improve people's environment and health, right? Or why don't you improve their lives? So, but what we've seen is as we've educated kind of the, the executives and people who actually are responsible for their own employees, uh, it resonates. It just, it's just a question of educating them. And then of course the real estate teams get involved and so on. But uh, uh, we've seen quite a bit of, I'd say success in that because uh, people are becoming more aware, even CEOs becoming more aware, they're involved in the designs of their new headquarters and so on. And when you actually educate them about this is what it does for you for employee retention, they, listen, they perk up and listen. And some of it is talking, speaking people's language. We've had this with CFOs where we say, would you like to save money on your real estate costs? And the, I think that's a rhetorical question. They, of course, not their head as quickly as they can. And then talking to them about space utilization and how to actually get more productivity out of people. If there's real data, they listen. And, and I think we, we have now scientific data there. Uh, real estate folks, you know, if I'll first look at companies, I'm leaving developers aside for a minute. I'd say we're at that 80-20 point where 20% of companies are fairly innovative and think about these things and, and look ahead and, and uh, you know, what they were doing this before the pandemic, they've been doing it for the last five, seven years. Uh, the rest of the world was not there, frankly, but uh, I think as someone mentioned, COVID's accelerated a lot of the trends, so awareness is higher. So we are seeing more, more that happen more often. And it's frankly the same on the development side of it. You know, seven years ago, it was, can you put this on a spreadsheet for me? I think now people are saying, my customers are demanding it. My tenants are demanding it. Uh, so, uh, you know, as John and his organization are being more uh, kind of proactive about this, uh, I've heard this from a lot of customers where we've put our solutions in a new building, in new construction, and they've come back and told us, but what about my 50 existing buildings? Can you help me with these two? Uh, and, and so that awareness is definitely increasing, but it, it has to be much more broad-based, I think, than just real estate teams. Mm. But it's also the demand. So I think the point is, and I, many of you have said this, is that the, the, the tenants, the corporate occupiers, the organizations are absolutely um, driving and have higher expectations of the real estate that they are either going to build themselves, they own themselves, or that they occupy as third-party tenants. And so um, ESG, in many ways, has driven a lot of awareness, particularly around the, um, the governance perspective and then the social impact and the value it brings. We, we have a question around um, building energy, speaking of the E and ESG. Um, the question is 40% of building energy comes from plug load, of which half is wasted. What sensors control mechanisms are addressing this gap or opportunity to reduce uh, cost and emissions? And uh, Wyatt, I do know you've done a lot of research in this area. You've got a group that focuses on this. So maybe we lead off with you and we'll ask someone else about this as well. Yeah, it's a great question. It's a difficult question to answer for uh, a lot of the, the building science folks that I know. Um, and it's one that we've been spending a lot of time this last year in particular uh, strategizing around at the Department of Energy um, through the Building Electric Appliances, Devices and Systems subprogram uh, that I manage. And I think, you know, what makes it tricky, plug loads are, what, what, what makes them tricky is there's A, tons of them, and B, they're, they're very diverse in terms of how they use energy and, and um, so unlike unlike a, an HVAC system where you have you know 
the potential to drop in a heat pump replacement or a light bulb where you have the potential to drop in an LED. There's not going to be a, a universal kind of uh, solution for, for these. And so the, the thing to, to really, I think, uh, make progress on is uh, uh, sort of system level opportunities that are going to be able to, you know, if, if we can implement these, these ideas, are going to be able to impact all these plug loads regardless of what they happen to be. And so uh, one thing I'll call out in that space, which is I think very forward looking, but but there are some some good examples in the real world, is uh, uh, DC buildings, uh, so DC DC power distribution, uh, that is direct current, not District of Columbia, um, <laughs> right? We have uh, you know essentially every end use now uh, that 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 we come across in in the built space is a DC load, uh, and uh, of course, we have legacy, you know, AC infrastructure in, 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 in virtually all buildings, and so we, as a result, are, are having to convert from AC to DC many, many times throughout the built, built environment. You have to carry around a, a, a power supply. You have drivers and all your LEDs. You have, uh, if you have a solar on your roof or a battery in your basement, you have inverters, and all of these things uh, could essentially just through design principles uh, be removed from the system and you could have a single conversion point which would right away save you somewhere on the order of you know 10 percent which is not insignificant um, and, and probably more in a lot of commercial settings um, but the other thing that that does is it opens up the possibility of transmitting data along with power on the same uh, wires so uh, you can then uh, make all of your connect make all of your plug loads addressable uh, uh, through uh, you know a control scheme um, but you know, putting aside the the, the, the hurdles to, to getting a DC building, I think there's a lot more devices now that are addressable just by virtue of being you know IoT devices, connected devices. But they're not being designed for efficiency. They're being designed for low latency and high functionality. And uh, you know, frankly, that's a choice that that OEMs make. Um, and uh, you know, most people when they go out to buy a smart device are not concerned about whether it's energy star rated or if it's you know efficient but collectively these are as, as you point out a, a huge part of the total building load so um, I hope you know through some of the stakeholder convening that we do and uh, potentially through standards um, development we can encourage manufacturers to you know if you're going to have a device that is is pinging a central hub you know 24 7 and waiting for a command that only comes once or twice a day right that that should be a very low power operation and it can be and we know it can be but it's not always designed that way and so um i think there's a, a tremendous opportunity to save energy on these plug loads um and a lot of it has to do with uh you know getting getting manufacturers and, and consumers more engaged on on the possibilities um and um so anyway i, I could talk for a long time about that we have a lot of other thoughts on uh sort of system level opportunities for plug loads i think dc is a, a kind of a, a futuristic fun sort of straightforward one but but there's a lot of a lot of efficiency opportunities in the space that 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 was fantastic i you know i think everyone's going to be interested that uh, we we've got a question regarding really it's data standards here and maureen so if i if i may i have something to add to what wyatt said i think it's very important oh, okay. Uh, it's I think there's a couple of critical points there. You know, we as we design kind of a converged networks of buildings, we thought of this as exactly to his point on uh, low voltage, low power, direct current, same same cables carrying both data and power, and it it makes a real difference. I think it's a design principle exactly as as Wyatt alluded, and that's kind of we've designed them that way. We even three four years ago, frankly, set out to make sensors ourselves. 
because we saw a lot of the solutions out there and not only were we not happy with the accuracy and repeatability of them, but part of that was also, we, we realized they didn't need to be on 24 hours a day. You don't need to pulse something every 10, 10 seconds. And this is where intelligent use of data and occupancy, if I'm in a space and there's nobody here, there's no reason to collect a reading every 30 seconds. You can turn it off and, and be smart about it. And uh, we this is where we've designed from a sensor level up kind of solutions that are also taking energy efficiency into the design principle, not just uh, not just the accuracy of the reading. And then frankly using, this is where the power of uh, algorithms and machine learning on using data intelligently comes in to where you can turn things on and off for large parts of the day and actually reduce loads quite a bit. Hmm. So it's an important area. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I think the DOE has great efforts on it, but we're we're designing with those principles in mind. It is, and it's yeah, the difference between good and bad data. Which uh, to switch gears a little bit here, um, we've got a question from um, the CEO of Oscar, Lisa Stanley. And for those of you who don't know what Oscar is, it's the Open Standards Consortium uh, for Commercial Real Estate. And uh, Lisa's asking if the current focus on various aspects of ESG indicate a greater interest in collaboration within organizations and across the industry to solve for these challenges. And we've talked a lot about kind of open data standards and having open systems rather than proprietary. But I think, uh, let me start with John uh, from his point of view, and then I'm gonna direct us to a couple others. If someone wants to answer the question also, let me know, um, but John. Yeah, I would, and I would add to that, like the open data standards, I think are, you know, extremely valuable and would be useful. Um, part of the challenge for us is that we, as we touched on many times, we also have this legacy environment of, you know, <clears throat> systems that, you know, have been, you know, uh, structured from a data perspective all independently. Uh, so it's, it's you know, that, that lift of trying to pull that together. Um, the part that I would add to that is not just kind of from a standardized, you know, uh, data tagging perspective, but also, you know, the, the topology and the way the, the data is connected is, you know, also something we'd love to see from a standardization perspective. And so, I'll, Lauren, um from your point of view, what what would it take to get there? Because it seems that with looming dates like 2030 and, you know, it's in a way the industry, we just kind of got to pull up our socks here a little bit and start getting across the silos and having far more collaboration, just as organizations are expecting their employees. What's what's your perspective on that? I think you're right. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're all trying to get to the same destination. You know, we're trying to make a difference and make measurable improvements to the way that buildings are using energy um, amongst other ideas. Um, so partnerships and collaboration and sharing tips um, is great, as well as competitions like the PropTech Challenge by NYSERDA and Rebney. Um, you know, that's a great way to really promote companies that are making a difference, as well as allow them to be within the same area and start conversations to make improvements down the road. You know, Philip, I'm curious, you mentioned you work uh, with Siemens, you work with a lot of different industries. Do you see collaboration happening across industries with some of the innovation in the built environment uh, that you're witnessing globally? Or uh, do you think that these groups still tend to be a little siloed by industry? 
Yeah, um, very good question. And uh, I want to be honest, I, I think the state where we are right now, we still have the silos, but they are opening up. And as I said, we just had a healthcare summit for three days with Siemens Healthineers who are doing health equipment for hospitals, with Siemens Smart Infrastructure who really do everything from the, the hardware products, right? In the walls, in the basement, the, the energy products up to the software layer, which is comfy and lighted. And um, we we work together on different opportunities and creating like better hospitals in that case. At the same time, when we look at um, another solution we have, which is real-time location services, we have an API first approach and we see an ecosystem approach as the best solution. So we pretty much plug in companies from all over the world, whether it's a Turkish company, an Italian company, to provide the best solution to the customer. So I would say from a from from the perspective of companies working together, the 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 method of give first is happening. But at the same time, looking at a different industry, and I worked in the mobility world before, there a standard came into Europe in the in the train ecosystem, which is called ETCS, the European Train Control System, and it gave a clear standard for train communication, which in the end made it possible to have autonomous trains across Europe. But it came from one entity, which was the government, that pretty much told everyone, this is what you got to do. And then the different systems from Siemens, from Alstom, they were interconnected. So I think we need those two trends. We need companies that, are, that, that they, they want to partner because together we can create more. But at the same time, we need guidance that basically gives us the way we communicate. Okay, great. All right, so I want everyone uh, one minute uh, or less. What's your best advice to get going, particularly in the health and wellness in the world of IoT and connected buildings and workplaces? Uh, Lauren, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, you know, it's it start soon, start today, start yesterday if possible. Um, work with the data you have now and use that to your best ability. Um, you can only change and improve what you're currently measuring. So take what you have and utilize that. Also look at it from a different, you know, different angle. So take the, you know, HR perspective, the recruiting angle, um, and then, you know, the climate impact, um, as well as legislation, use all that information and figure out what works best for you. There is no like one size fits all solution for you know, real estate. And it's important to acknowledge that and just move in, move forward with what you can do. Great. John? I'd say, Maureen, find good partners, both internally and externally. Uh, for us, you know, a big part of our success has been going right to the edge with the property and operations teams, working hand in hand with them in deploying. They provide a lot of the, you know, the color and the context, uh, both on, you know, how to deploy this stuff and also the value around it. Fantastic. Wyatt? Yeah, so first of all, I would say uh, electrify your buildings. Um, it, it's not exactly an IoT play, uh, so I don't want to get too off topic here, but you asked a question earlier about do we need similar goals for health that, that we have for decarbonization and I would to that I would say decarbonization is for health uh, in, in many ways um, so we know proximity to power plants or combustion uh, on-site combustion furnaces and so on is directly linked to poor air quality so if you have a furnace first of all uh, consider a heat pump right so that to me is the first order 
kind of opportunity space for 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 health and buildings. Uh, and then I think IoT is 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 one of the things that I would consider after that as a sort of second order opportunities in the space. Um, but the the first is to to get to stop burning things uh, on site, uh, stop stop burning coal at power plants, and uh, that, that's that's my advice. Okay. And then Philip. Yes, Lauren said, uh, start yesterday, I would add, um, start small, but at the same time, create a big vision. With everything, I think if you have a, if you have a big goal that you wanna reach, um, start with the first small steps and whatever company on the webinar today you found most interesting, um, of course, I would love to, to uh, have you all get in touch with us, but um, just get started. Activity is always the first thing that leads you to a point where you can create a better place and um, be open, be open to the challenges, be open to the obstacles that are on that path. Um, I think we can all overcome them um, for any workplace that is out there together. Um, that is my advice, create your vision um, and then start small, but start. And Rahul? Uh, three things, uh, one, I think both health and, and decarbonization, are, they're not an either or, we need to do both incorporate them into your decision making. So I think don't just talk about it, actually use it to make decisions. Uh, uh, I think it's a different way of saying it, what Lauren and Philip said, just uh, do something with it. Uh, two, I think it is uh, a little bit of take a holistic approach. So involve more stakeholders in the process and uh, the benefits are all there. I think it's, uh, it's just uh, uh, being open to them and open to change. And three is experiment. Don't wait for perfection, because if you wait for perfection, you'll be waiting for a very long time. That's just the nature of innovation and change. Uh, so uh, not everything will always work out, and that's okay. Thank you. Okay, Chuck, back to you. All right, very good. Thank you, Maureen. Thanks to all the panelists for these uh, valuable contributions in today's session. I, I may have mentioned to the audience, you, you probably need to take notes here. Um, I, I, I want to add one thing too. I recently did a, a case study for a brand new 45-story structure in Hanoi, Vietnam, and the technology that went into that building was phenomenal. Uh, that inter the building interacted with the tenants based on facial recognition at the moment they entered the parking deck. So probably the facial recognition in uh, Asia Pacific is much more accepted than it is in the West, but uh, you know we'll see how that goes. So. Um, well, for our live audience and those uh, watching this as a recording, we do want to thank you for tuning in and be sure to check out Friday's broadcast of the Realcom Live. It's at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Europe. This episode, this Friday, uh, tomorrow, Jim Young will interview Kathy Farrington of Google, Thano Lambrinos of Quadril, and Victor Sanchez of LinkedIn. Uh, our next webinar is part two of the Enterprise Tech Series airing one week from today, May 12th, focused on investment management, investment management solutions. And hey, I'll be your host with Steve Suriano from DRA Advisors. We're going to have fun. It's going to be like a mock uh, vendor evaluation, vendor selection process. So it'll be a little different. So I would say check it out. Uh, finally, be sure to go to realcom.com and register for the Realcom IBCOM conference in Orlando. That's June 15th and 16th with a golf outing and a pre-conference earlier in the week. You can use a promo code right now. That's RC22Web1. That's on the next slide, Ian. 
that's good through June 2nd for a discount on registration. So we hope to see you there. I know a lot of the people that are on this webinar will be there. So that's it for us today. We wish you well, be safe, and thank you again for tuning in to, to the Realcom webinars. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.